Escape from Plan A could most aptly be characterized as agrarian precap. All right, of course that's your Hang on a second. You're a first-year grad student. You just got finished reading some Moxie and historian, A. Garrison, probably. You're going to be convinced of that till next month when you get to James Lemon. Then you're going to be talking about how the economies of Virginia and Pennsylvania were entrepreneurial and capitalist way back in 1740. That's going to last until next year. You're going to be in here regurgitating Gordon Wood talking about, you know, the pre-revolutionary utopia and the capital-forming effects of military mobilization. Ho, 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 merry listeners. Welcome to another episode of Escape from Plan A. I'm your host, Oxford, and I'm here today with Teen. Hey. And Casey, who last joined us for the uh, Anthony Bourdain podcast. Hey, Casey. Hi, everyone. Yeah, so glad to have you back. Uh, to, for this episode, we're going to talk more in depth about the uh, the Harvard admissions case, which is going to wrap up relatively soon and we actually talked about this a bit in it gosh i think it was like episode 21 or something poison ivy league that that seems like such a long time ago but i think it's worth just talking about more uh, because this is uh, it, it touches on so much of you know what race in america is all about uh, but before we start i uh, just want to remind everyone if you like us please uh, subscribe to us on itunes on soundcloud um you know go follow us on facebook rate us five stars if you like us leave a review and go read our articles at planamag.com. So anyway, yeah, uh, I think people don't really need an introduction to the um, Harvard admissions case, but uh, just as a refresher, Teen, you want to just uh, remind everyone what's going on here? Sure. I mean, it, so the case is, uh, I believe, in still in trial at the moment in federal court, and it's a class action lawsuit, meaning it's sort of on behalf of like a class of plaintiffs, Asian American applicants to Harvard. And it was brought by... Um, I, you know, uh, it, it's hard to call, name what it is, but it's a group. It's a group called Students uh, for Fair Admissions, which is headed by this guy, Edward Bloom. Edward Bloom has spent, you know, has had a deck, has had a career in, in challenging affirmative action all across the board. He's tried it with white plaintiffs most recently in Texas and failed. And this time he's using, um, you know, the uh, apparent... Um, Achievement gap, meaning the, you know, the, 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 the higher GPA and the higher SAT scores expected of, uh, Asian students, uh, to get into Harvard, uh, as compared with any other group. And it's pretty dramatic. I mean, we're talking like, you know, a hundred, more than 150 points on the SAT and the higher GPA and all that stuff, uh, to challenge the affirmative action program, the admissions process, the admissions process, I would say, uh, at Harvard as being discriminatory against Asian Americans and in particular that it, you know, is a, is a near perfect echo of the anti-Jewish, uh, the anti-Jewish discrimination that was happening at Harvard, which has been established as true and which, um, Edward Bloom is drawing a parallel to. So that's the sort of general background. And a thing that's gotten a lot of attention is the whole like personal rating thing. Uh, so, there have been studies done by, you know, Harvard's own, like, uh, internal investigations. And it showed these uh, things where, like, Asian Americans are pretty much better than, like, I, I think they mainly use white applicants as the comparison, better than white applicants in academics, uh, extracurriculars, which is uh, notable because, like, it, it, like, decades ago, the common knock against Asian Americans was like, oh, we're just a bunch of, um, you know, test takers. We don't participate in, like, the school life and all that. But actually, that's no longer true. So... The only like real big dramatic uh, drop off you see is in the personal rating, and and the really damning thing um, I think that showed from even as I said Harvard's own internal studies was that if you actually look at the like the interviews 
and the other like teachers recs that the Asian Americans had, they were actually, they said they were, it was actually, you know, it was really indistinguishable from, from other students, like especially white students. Yet, uh, when it came to like Harvard's own like admissions people who, you know, really didn't know these candidates except by paper, that's where the, like the big drop off happened. So there's like all these questions about, is this just the, the softest, most black box way to, uh, you know, cap Asian American enrollment? Cause you can't do it by academics and you can't even do it by extracurriculars anymore. Yeah, I to be honest, I don't really know much about this personality ranking. I know they it's stuff like I, I, I there's all these factors that go into it like per, like it's literally like a personality rating, like likability and uh leadership qualities or stuff like that. And there I I guess the there's been a lot of like discussion about this um in public and in the media. And I think what bothers me what I'm seeing is like they're Getting a lot of expert testimony, it's like a battle of experts. This happens all the time in court, right? Like they basically just hire, uh, you know, someone, a professor of statistics or something to go and do an analysis of all the admissions data. And Harvard's going to hire someone that's going to come out and say there's no discrimination. And the plaintiff's going to hire someone that's going to come out and there's plenty of discrimination. And they're going to battle it out over, you know, oh, you didn't do your regression analysis the way that you should have and this and that. It's super confusing. And... I think if you go online, like, that's kind of where the debate has gone. It's gone into this sort of, you know, are the, are the hired experts, uh, which one's right? And to me, that's come completely besides the point. That's sort of like a, you know, that's a legal fight that they're having. But at the end of the day, you know, it still comes down to, are we going to accept the fact that, you know, personality ranking or the, the personality score? I think the, the question is, are we ready to accept the fact that, you know, Asian Americans have inferior or less desirable personalities or do we think that's um, a bunch of shit? And, you know, I guess my feeling is like getting drawn into the sort of like current debate over regression analysis is just entirely besides the point. And I'm wondering, um, is there some degree to which we ourselves are not sure? Like, that's what I think is happening is I think there's a lot of Asian Americans who are kind of like, well, I kind of believe that we do have inferior personalities. Just saying, I think that's where things are. I think that a lot of Asian Americans looking at this are kind of worried that maybe there is something to the fact that we have inferior personalities, which is why there seems to be a lot of ambivalence about the case. You know, um, that's, that's what I think anyway. And it's kind of, to me, kind of sad that we're even put in this position to consider that. Yeah. We, I, like, I don't want this podcast to be too much about niggling over the, the legal details. I, I was reading this amicus brief, uh, in which they were trying, there's like some like four fifth test or, or they said something like that. And it was looking at the, uh, I guess expected outcome of these like, um, simulated admissions tests or something. And like, oh, look at this. It actually, um, is like, point like six seven the coefficient so it actually doesn't arise to the four it's, fifths it's, level. it's so ridiculous it's, it's so ridiculous <laughs> and 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 i think it's it's to emphasize this is really not about harvard i don't give a fuck about harvard like, like we're and i think they want to portray this as a bunch of like a greedy little asians who just all want to get into the school based on you know prestige whoring and all that it's really not about that uh this is really about if, if there is some kind of uh institutionalized uh you know, system against Asian Americans, especially in an institution that purports to be so progressive and so enlightened. 
Um, are agents actually gonna say anything about it, or are we just gonna constantly just look over our shoulder and think, oh, who's like, which group is gonna think this about us, and and just not not stand for ourselves? I think that's the real issue here. Nobody gives a fuck about Harvard, at least most of us. Mm-hmm. But in, I mean, I, I this is a Harvard lawsuit, and I think before we get to the other questions, there is that question of is there actual discrimination here, right? So what I'm seeing when I looked at, and you know, the three of us have read the, it's a hundred and twenty page complaint by the SFFA, what it talks about is how there's this gross disparity between the applicant pool and the admissions pool, right? But that's expected of not just Harvard, but I mean, definitely an institution like Harvard, but of most universities, there would be a disparity between the people applying and the people who actually get in. And just to say that alone, I don't think really will help. Well, you know, standing alone will make the claim that there's discrimination unless we can see how this compares to other groups. And I, have we seen that yet? Yeah, I think that was the basis, wasn't it? Was to say that, um, well, one, I think there are multiple ways of sort of measure, like getting a sense that there might be something weird going on. One is that it seems like the population, the, the admissions population is, it kept rising up until it hit 20%. And I think that's where they were drawing the comparison to um, earlier policies in the early 20th century that capped Jewish admissions also at 20%. And it seems to just sort of have hit that ceiling. And the, the, you know, the SAT, the, the academic components for the Asian American students that, um, that do make it in are significantly higher than any other group. I think that's the thing. It's the comparison. It's comparing the, uh, the, the, the average SAT and GPA of those who get in to other groups and it's significantly higher even than white. There were like, uh, these, uh, like studies done and it was like, if it was just like pure academics, uh, Asians would be at something like 40 something percent. If it was pure, uh, academics and extracurriculars, it would be something like, like 30 percent. If it was like, and every time you added in one of those categories, it kept dropping. And I think one of the major drops was that personality rating. So, I mean, the debate over all this is what is the debate over merit, right? And a lot of people say, well, Harvard's like a private institution, so they have the right to define merit as they wish. And that's true. I mean, you, you know, Harvard used to basically be a country club, and it still kind of is. Uh, so, yeah, they have the right to let anyone in and out. But I think we're all demanding, hey, be honest about it. Don't, like, portray yourself as this, like, bastion of of just, like, equality and everything. But meanwhile, you're doing the shady shit that you yourselves are embarrassed to admit because I mean I think one of the most damning evidence is that they had their own like um, um, internal reviews and they were like oh this this looks like shit we can't release this um and, you know so it's like if it was so good why didn't you release it right it's just like simple right uh, they they sense. had yeah I mean there's I mean I think there's significant evidence that there's discrimination going on right I mean that like you wouldn't get to this point in the tr- in 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 a lawsuit if there wasn't. Um, it would have been dismissed. There would have been summary judgment. They've, they've gotten pretty far along. And I think discovery has turned up at least the idea that this is not a frivolous lawsuit. And I guess my concern is not so much about the lawsuit. It's just about this, the, the, um, this attitude that's come up among a lot of Asian Americans, including, um, you know, just, there, there are those who give arguments to say that, you know, I've looked at the data and it doesn't show any discrimination or I've looked at the data and it only shows discrimination against Asian male, men from the East Coast, uh, not against California, not against Californian Asian or West Coast Asians or Asian women. So it's definitely more more likely a personality defect of East Coast Asians, man, men <laughs> like all this stuff. It's like, OK, 
okay, uh, I, I, those are arguments that you can make or whatever. But my biggest problem is those who are just like, you know, how dare, because even with a class action lawsuit, you still need a named plaintiff. Like there needs to be like one guy that brings the suit. And it was this like kid who like applied, didn't get in and ended up at Duke. And all these like people are like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? Like he's going to Duke. It's just as good as school. Right. And my point to that, my, my response to that is just like, what the, why, why are people so ashamed of being confrontational? I think that it, it boils down to like just this fear and shame of being confrontational because it's to me, the question isn't, you know, is this kid's life going to be negatively impacted because he went to Duke instead of Harvard? Um, I think the question is just like, you know, it sounds like Harvard broke the law here. It, it broke the law in, in, you know, in the ways that it's discriminate, that it appears to be discriminating against Asian American students and they should be, you know, held to account for that in court. Now, if they if they have a program that does not discriminate and they can prove it, then fine. But I don't understand why we're so gun-shy. Like, there seems to be this cultural, this ingrained fear of confrontation that we just simply don't have the right to, like, hold anybody to account for anything. And it's, like, shameful that this kid would even think about being part of this lawsuit. I, I really find that that is... Um, indicative of you know a really really kind of neutered and you know deprecated we talked about it's a, guest, it's a guest mentality it's a guest mentality exactly exactly i think that's exactly it we feel like guests in this country and that you know we we are telling each other to shut up because it's like rude and you know people are going to get upset and i'm like we this is our home when you're a guest and and uh, you know host says uh, you know, uh, make sure that you, uh, you know, dry the soap after you use, or just some like very weird demands that you would not tolerate in your own house if someone like, you know, told you to do it. But when you're a guest, you always agree to everything because you're just like grateful to be there, you know? Right. So th that's exactly it. Um, there's, there's a very high level of bullshit that Asian Americans uh, are willing to put up with because we, uh, feel like we're actually not really welcome here. And we think that any minute we can be ostracized or even like kicked out. Yeah, I think I think that's part of it. I think for some of the Asian Americans here, they're quiet because they think, well, we're the newest people here. We're the newest immigrants. And if things are going okay for us, then there's no reason for us to, you know, ruin things for other people who have been here much longer than us. So that might be one group. And then the I think the more outspoken voices that we've heard, the ones in the media, they actually are, you know, professors and um, people who who work in nonprofits like the Asian Law Caucus and so on. And for these people, I'm not so sure that it's because of this guest mentality, but more that when we start talking or challenging uh, race-based affirmative action, then, you know, what, what comes along with that is also challenging the notion that there should be something done to uh, correct past discrimination against groups like the black community or the Hispanic community, um, groups that have been historically disadvantaged. So I, I'm not, I'm sure a lot of people that they, they don't want to, you know, be on the wrong side of this controversy and say that they don't care about these groups. And that's, that's kind of, I think that's kind of the fear when you start addressing race-based affirmative action. When you start challenging it, you're, you're saying, well, I don't care about these, these other groups. I only care about Asian Americans. Yeah, for those like uh, Asian civil rights groups, legal organizations, like I understand their predicament. It is a very like uh, you know kind of like an internal politics thing in which, uh, you know, you can't, there are like certain like party lines 
um, you know, not necessarily like Democratic versus Republican, but, you know, usually falling on those that you, you can't cross or else you're going to like piss off your, your like partners and, uh, you know, like allies within like that, that network. So I, I'm more, con- uh, you know, concerned or interested in just like your everyday Asian American who's on Twitter or Reddit who really don't have those entrenched interests, but still feel this like social pressure because I think that's more relatable. Cause like with these people, it's like, you know, rely, relying on donors and, and grants and stuff. They, yeah, that makes sense. I understand what they're doing. But for like the actual, like more average young Asian American, like what exact, what are like the forces preying upon them? Cause this goes beyond just university, you know, cause if this notion of like too many Asians is endorsed at this level, it bleeds into every aspect of your life, whether it's like social, uh, professional, whatever. So that's what I think is really worth talking about. That said, I, I do agree that there, this lawsuit does have, questionable origins in this sffa group and edward oh yeah they're full they're full of shit like they're totally untrustworthy um it should any see that that's like the false dichotomy got set up it's like anytime you question you know you know tina you you were uh paraphrasing your friend harvard is basically a a hedge fund with a university attached to it it's like mega global corporation um and if you don't like throw your bodies in front of it as like so-called asian liberals and progressives you're seen as supporting this total piece of shit edward bloom and super like i guess motives are so obviously transparent he's not looking out for asians anybody who thinks so in the long run is going to get totally burned by him like if you look at the history of what he's done so yeah it's it's just you know. to, to his credit he's been pretty upfront about that i don't think he's hidden that and i don't think he's and you know and i have to say that um you know, this is this is a there is a political aspect to this, which is like, you know, where we are in a way being used as uh, the battering ram for a more reactionary uh, political movement here, which is to dismantle, uh, you know, the, the you know all of the line of cases uh all of the line of supreme court cases which have allowed racial preference to kind of creep into hiring and you know admissions decisions so the the idea being that that would benefit white people um the most but if you look at the you know the places where affirmative action has been uh has been prohibited like in california at a state level they've removed you know race 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 as a valid criteria in any admissions decisions mm-hmm. That's the two, outcome is interesting it has really benefited asians if 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 berkeley going like above 50 percent asian is considered good for us um and i think there's been a natural sort of feeling even among asian students at berkeley that they want maybe to have more diversity and they don't necessarily want to be at a school that's so heavily asian uh and so it gets complicated and i think like um that's something that is hard to discuss but i think worthy of discussion is like is there like an inherent benefit to us in being in you know a a well mixed diverse group and it's raising legit questions and i don't want to say that those questions aren't legit but we need to get to those questions first and and at least admit that you know admit that here i think there definitely is a valid legal claim there definitely is evidence of of racial discrimination against asians really in support of maintaining more seats for 
on you know for white students in legacy positions and things like that not so much taking them away from black and latino students and i just think we need to have some advocacy here in this discussion we cannot just sit back and and let other people decide the fate of you know a program that is so overwhelmingly going to be affecting asian students we've got to we've got to bring our own demands and voice to the table and i just don't agree when people try and shame uh, anyone for even daring to question the, you know, the, whether, whether there's discrimination in the process. Yeah, there's a, you know, uh, Jeannie Suckerson, who's a very well-respected uh, law professor at Harvard, she wrote a, an article for the New Yorker saying that this is not really about affirmative action. This is a referendum on anti-Asian bias, especially with respect to white students. And really, like, you, like, Asian, like, so-called liberals and progressives, you're not going to stand up for Asian Americans against, like, white legacies and athletes? I mean, what the fuck? You know, that that's just shows, I think, the complete spinelessness of of our, like, you know, like, so-called representatives, if that's what it comes down to. Well, and it also sets up, like I said, like, in, if you go to California, it's not like Asian American students don't understand the benefit of diversity. Naturally, they do. I mean, there's plenty of I know plenty of Cal grads who are like, yeah, it's too Asian, you know, and they 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 often go to other campuses because of that. So this idea that, you know, it's this yellow peril thing where it's like Asians just are these are these insanely uh, insane overachieving. It's the same thing that I think fuels anti-Semitism. Right. And it's like. It's this idea that we're just, they want to invade Harvard and take it over. And if we do it, Harvard's not going to be the same. And, you know, we're just grade grubbing achievement monkeys. And we don't have any care for anybody else. Like we just want to, we just want to invade and take over and we want to make Harvard 70, 80% Asian all the better. And I just think that that is a fear. That's a racialized fear. And, the, that fear is used to say, you know, if you let them have their day in court, they're going to bring rain destruction on like American values or whatever. It's just obscene. I mean, that yeah. I just find it obscene. Here's a question I want to pose to you guys. Uh, Casey, I, I want to get your thoughts on this first. So with, with I think Harvard and, and other, I mean, I mean, Harvard is really just symbolic of just elite colleges. We, we're not just like picking on this one school. Right. Um, there is this contradiction in the message they're sending. Cause on one hand, they're saying um, we're the best because if you come to our school and, and, uh, you know, if you, if you come right for the lampoon, you're going to go into Hollywood, you know, like someone like Alan Yang or like, you know, Conan O'Brien, those types. Or if you come to, you know, us and then go to our law school, you'll get fast track to the Supreme Court. You go to like Goldman Sachs, you go to like whatever, all these places. And that's how they sell themselves. You know, we provide access. That's such an obvious message. That's why people want to go there. Yet, on the other hand, they, they shame uh, Asian Americans, especially saying, you know, you know, we're not that great. Why, why are you guys always trying to come to us? There are plenty of other great schools. And that's the just insane, like, insanely infuriating hypocrisy I see. And, like, I mean, how, how do you resolve that, right? I mean, do you guys see that too? Sort of. I haven't even given thought to it because the bottom line is regardless of, regardless of that, right? I, I'm not sure that's so relevant and to me at least in, in this entire lawsuit, because the bottom line is whether or not Asian Americans should strive to go there or not, or if it provides these networking opportunities, the bottom line is, are, is there discrimination? Period. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm just thinking like more, more beyond this lawsuit. I mean, I'm, my gut feeling is like Harvard's going to win the lawsuit somehow, whatever. But like, it, I think it's just like kicking the can down the road because it's, I think this model is unsustainable. The, the whole idea of these exclusive country club like uh, institutions that were really only meant to service 
like the the privileged white young white men of kind of like Protestant North Eastern families. The idea, this kind of like post GI Bill era, where actually no, everybody, not only in America but the world, uh, are entitled to come to these places. But you know what? Uh, we're only gonna have like fifteen hundred to two thousand spots, and then they try to deny that it's a zero sum game. It's very much a zero sum game. You cannot deny that reality. And honestly, I like in the long run, I cannot see a resolution to that uh, contradiction that I, I pointed to, in which they the their whole prestige. Uh, relies on their access and ability to provide all these things that, uh, you know, even like slightly less prestigious schools maybe can't, uh, versus, hey, you, you guys shouldn't come to us. There's plenty of other good schools. I mean, what's the solution except to just break up the Ivy League, you know? You know, or accept that, you know, or do you just accept, you know, Harvard saying, I think 20% is about as many Asians as we want? And if they were honest about that, what would you, what would your reaction be? If Harvard stopped, pulled its own, its head out of its own ass and was like, okay, look, um, when we, when we look at this country, Asians are like less than 5% of the population. And we think 20%, which is four times over, over representative of the American population, generally speaking, is about right. Because, you know, black, black students here are, are not even hitting their, you know, their general, their gen pop mark of 13% or something like that. We only have 8%. Well, I don't know what it is, but let's say we're not even at 13%. For black students or whatever. So I think 20% for Asians is about as high as we're willing to go. And we love the Asian students that we have here, but that's it. Like, we, we just don't think that we want to be a campus that has any more than 20% Asian because that's not representative of America as a whole. What would you say to that? I mean, that's obviously I mean, if they racist. really just came out and said that. Yeah, I mean, if that's the case, that's obviously racist. I don't think there's – setting a quota is – first of all, it's illegal. Ill- illegal, um, yes. It's illegal. But let's say that somehow that – they were like that, that uh, setting the legal question aside. If the, if as an institution, they just can't, cause I think this is kind of what they're thinking, right? If they just said like, we think 20% is a fair number because there's other groups that are underrepresented. And in fact, whites are underrepresented. What would you say? You know, I, I think, so first of all, I think that kind of ties into the diversity question, which we, I mean, we can, talk about that later on. But if they are, you know, if there's this notion that if we reach 20%, then that's, if we reach 21%, then that's 1% too many Asians on our university. What that's really saying is that's going to, you know, change what makes Harvard, what what makes Harvard, Harvard. All right. Uh, here are my thoughts. I think, I think it would solidify uh, something that we all know, uh, but I think that actual, like, especially such an esteemed institution like Harvard, uh, basically admitting that in this model of diversity, um, there are quotas. For them to just come out and say that, I think it would be a big leap in that we already kind of understand that, but, uh, well, you know, to have it just so blatantly said so. And I think, I think this is what they're afraid of. I think they're afraid that if it becomes like that, there will be, um, a real rejection of that model because it, 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 it essentially pits minorities against each other and, I mean, we, we already kind of see this, especially in, in kind of like a gender battles among, uh, you know, PLC communities, especially if they want to rise to, uh, you know, very uh, um, select and, and prestigious uh, positions of power in places like, like media or, or business or fashion. We already see that kind of stuff happening, this kind of like handpicking of, of like, you know, the so-called best minorities to revolve around this kind of like white dominant center. But for like, I think Harvard to come out or like all these schools to come and say, yeah, that that's pretty much what our ideology 
amounts to, which I, th- you know, I've called many times this like white assimilationist liberalism. I think a lot of minorities will look at that and be like, oh, huh. Well, fuck that. We're not going to play that game anymore. And I think, I think what they want is to just keep dangling that carrot. It's like, no, you know what? If hypothetically, if everyone is good enough, you know, we could have like a 99%, you know, POC Harvard. Um, but because that, that possibility, that like 1% possibility is still out there. I think they want to keep dangling that. But for them to say, actually, no, nah, it's, it's like hard capped and, and that's the reality. Then you would have like a real moral referendum on, on that system. Yeah, so I think in a way I would almost want them to just come out and say it because that is the system. And, and I think the problem I found is that we live in a, we live in a, um, within, especially in this sort of hot, the, the sort of elite end of society really believe that we live in a sort of post-racial thing where, you know, race is just one tiny dimension of life and there's so much more to diversity or whatever. Good one. (laughs) And yeah, exactly. And it's like the truth is that, you know, race is fundamental. Uh, It is, it's not like the other axes of diversity. It's one of, it's the, it's sort of the starting point of how we divvy up society and that we're, I think it's really, I think it's, it's causing a lot of, confusion and I think a lot of anxiety in people to both believe that we live in a race neutral race blind or a society that strives to be race blind but on the other hand it's so clear like if you look at the facts on the ground it's so clearly uh subject to racial quotas and racial and that which is a form of racial segregation right which is to say that um you know we need to have Asians be like, you know, a small minority, a relatively small minority wherever they go, because that's just what they are. And that's how they shall remain. And in a way, it's kind of like, that's the reality of this country. And the problem I see is not the reality, but the failure, the inability for us to talk about the reality. And that's why I find Harvard so absolutely infuriating. It's like they're doing one thing and saying another. And then they're telling you you're crazy for finding there to be a problem, right? Like yeah. the fact that the facts don't correspond with anything I'm telling you, um, your inability to hold those two, uh, com- you know, those two competing and contradictory ideas in your own head just points to your own failure to understand how things really work. And that is a load of shit and it's causing untold amount of i mean writ large that's causing an untold amount of anxiety in people and i think that it's time we just start calling a spade a spade ourselves and be like uh you know what there harvard is harvard is one of those elite liberal institution that speaks this out the side of its mouth but it, everyone knows what's going on yeah i mean what if harvard became you know like those really like fancy schools in uh you know new york city uh you know high schools like you know trinity dalton uh, these schools that are obviously like very well regarded, but like most people don't really give a shit about because they're just like obviously so elitist that, that you know, it, it just becomes almost like a joke. Like you watch right. a gossip girl for them. What if Harvard became something like that? And, uh, you know, mo- most people just went to perfectly good, uh, you know, state schools or whatever. And like Harvard, yeah, you know, it, it has a nice lineage. Uh, some pretty cool people might have gone there, but you know what? It's really just a uh, finishing school once again for, for the most elite. I think that's. I guess maybe the ideal solution. Like, Harvard can do whatever the fuck it wants, but I want them to lose their kind of, like, stranglehold both on um, the kind of, like, elitists and, and like, oh, like, the commoners out of that. That's what I would say. I want, like, everyone to stop thinking of Harvard as, like, the school for everyone when it's clearly not. I'd agree with that. I, I, I think that the reality is it's already kind of like that. I, I don't think that... One, I don't think the... I mean, 
in terms of, let's talk about Harvard for a sec. I don't think the instruction that you get there is going to be any better than any other school. Oh, like, for sure it's not. <laughs> like the, the literature that they teach is the same as in other schools. The, you know, the, the math that they teach is the same as in other schools. So I don't think the instruction is going to be much better. It's the, it's the, um, this, this idea of having access to this yeah, sort the of access, elite sphere. the access, yeah. Yeah. And I just, I don't know. I mean, it, I guess it depends on what you want to do, but I, I know a lot of people that went to Harvard and Yale and stuff. And I know a lot of people that went to state schools and, uh, like places like Cal or UCLA or whatever. And, uh, to be honest, I don't really sense a huge difference in life outcome or access. Um, I just don't, I don't think that, the things that Harvard says about like, oh, you're going to be closer to more Nobel Prize winners than on, you know, within a five block radius than anywhere else on Earth really matters because those Nobel Prize winners don't really give a shit about, uh, you know, undergrad students. They don't really have time for you anyway. So I think it's a lot of, I think it's a lot of, um, it's a lot of sizzle and it's a lot of, it's a lot of boosting the egos of the young people that go there and making them believe that they're exceptional. Uh, and um, maybe that maybe that's a nice thing to have to hold on to. Uh, but for me, I I went to a middling state school and I did fine. Um, I just yeah i I don't really I don't really think um, Harvard is is anything, especially at the undergrad level, is anything to really particularly pine after or or there's no real sense of loss if you don't go there. Right. Can we turn back to the diversity question, though? So, yeah, so, you know, we're, we're talking about whether or not people want to go to Harvard, but say people do, right? So say we still have, I mean, obviously we still have a lot of potential applicants, all these people who are members of the SFFA who want to one day apply to Harvard. And Harvard is saying, well, you know, we, what we're doing is legal because diversity is a, it, they call it a, you know, compelling state interest. It's a, it's a good, it's a valid goal for us. How do you guys feel about that? Is diversity a, a good goal to have on campus at any campus, not just Harvard? I think for sure, but I think we have to press them on that. Like, what exactly do you mean by diversity? Because they sure as hell don't mean like socioeconomic diversity. And in fact, they probably have an aversion to that just because. I think what they're really after is a superficial kind of diversity among people who are socialized to like and aspire for the same things they want. And I think what they're, what they're trying to do is take enough from like minority groups so that you can, uh, basically homogenize them into this, whatever you want to call it, like this, like Ivy League, uh, mindset. And then they will like, and you either up, uh, li uplift them as like representatives of their, of their groups or like send them back to evangelize that, uh, you know, aforementioned mindset. Um, so I would press on, like, I, I think diversity is good. I mean, I think, um, you know, you, you, like if, if you're the kind of person who just like sticks to what you know, stay in your hometown, uh, you know, all your, all your friends are just like family friends. Obviously, like if you want to grow mentally and just like uh, just become more open minded, all that. Yeah, for sure. You got to experience all sorts of different things. But I think the way they define diversity is is a very kind of like superficial diversity that's like. Oh, we'll just take like the Rainbow Coalition from like the St. Grottle sex schools. You know, that, that's not real <laughs> diversity. Yeah. 
It, yeah, they want to give this appearance that they're like the United Colors of Benetton. Uh, but, you know, I was reading somewhere that at, at one point they were admitting you know, African-American students, black, black students from very disadvantaged neighborhoods. And then they decided, well, you know, these students don't really fit on our campus or fit in on our campus. And then they started admitting only or primarily African-American students from more privileged backgrounds. Um, so I think that really fits in with what you just said, Oxford. Yeah, actually, there's this fascinating story. It's been breaking in the last few weeks. So there's a school in Louisiana called the T.M. Landry School. And it was like this like uh, social media sensation because it, it was it was like in a very poor part of Louisiana. Most of their students, I think, were black. But they had this incredible record of placing their uh, students into the Ivy Leagues. And recently it was busted as a scam. Like the, the, the teach, uh, it was run by this weird couple that was really abusive to their students. Didn't teach them anything. Uh, made, made like the older students teach younger students, like, like some like, you know, Anne of Green Gables shit, like, you know, back in like the, the prairie days or something. And what, what, what they found out was they could, they, they knew how to play the system. And I think what they figured out was a lot of these schools really wanted, you know, underrepresented minority kids, but they also didn't want to sacrifice their precious, like, median SAT scores because that would mean a drop in the in the goddamn US news ranking. So what this school did was they they manipulated all these transcripts so that these schools wouldn't have to choose. Like they could have these underrepresented minorities from impoverished backgrounds, yet they could still like maintain their like um I think they went back to the 1600 system in the SAT. So they're like, like, I don't know what's a good median, like 1450. Like, the, ooh, you know, if, if you're like Princeton, we can't fall below Columbia or Penn. That's, that's disgraceful. You know, so, so like a president could get fired for that. Um, so it, it's, yeah, the system is just fucked up, you know. I, I think it still comes down to this fundamental, uh, con- conflict, this internal conflict that we have in this country, which is denying that race matters. But race actually matters a whole t- a whole lot, and we we when 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 they say something like oh we care about diversity they mean racial diversity like let's know let's not beat around the bush they mean we want you know a a, a colorful diversity, and that means that they do got to do some racial engineering, right? So if you care about diversity, you got to have some racial engineering because if you just go by uh, if you just go by academics or legacy, you're not going to have a very diverse class. You're just going to get a bunch of whites and Asians, right? And I think the problem, what pisses me off, and this may be not necessarily Harvard's fault because of the state of the law and the, the, the needle that they have to thread, is that they have to discriminate, but then they, they have to come up with an excuse for it. And the excuse is always blaming the students. So the problem is that we're being discriminated against, but that's illegal. And so therefore, it's not that we're being discriminated against. It's that we have bad personalities. We have defective personalities. And I think that that is the ultimate injustice here is like you're both being discriminated against, but you have to take the blame for it yourself. You have to take the blame for your own discrimination. And I think that is... The, to me, why this this falls into the what I call the Oxford condo principle of it's the it's the uh, hypocrisy that angers people, um, not necessarily the discrimination itself. If the system was unfair because we said, look, um, we just can't look. Harvard just is not a more than twenty percent Asian kind of school, and that's that. It would be somewhat obscene. It would be somewhat offensive. But you know what? At least we know it's not our fucking fault. Here it's like it's your fault that we can't go above twenty percent, and wow. I, I and I find that to be just a just not only are we discriminated against, we have to take the blame for it. That is that is the thing about this case that just 
absolutely riles me and pisses me off. And, and, and the fact that there are other Asian Americans in prominent positions, you know, supporting this to, to not just, not just to say that diversity matters, but that it's, it's our own fault that, that we capped ourselves with our poor personalities is, is an, I cannot think of any worse sellout. Uh, thing to say than that yeah uh, first of all teen uh yeah. thank you for crediting that principle to me i'm sure someone else said it before <laughs> it's me a but great i'll take principle. full credit and i'll I, i'll put it on my epitaph you know yeah. when i die <laughs> Oxford take, take principle. <laughs> it's the hypocrisy stupid um but yeah and i think it, it's very clear why harvard and its equivalents have to keep up the mirage and it's because if they don't uh, they're pretty much admitting yeah we're, we're pretty much like uh, you know, a school like Andover, uh, out of reach for like 99% of, of the people. We're pretty good, but, uh, you know, we're almost kind of like irrelevant, almost a relic of the past. And in order to stay relevant, in order to be everyone's uh, goal, whether you're like a really uh, poor kid from a struggling neighborhood or, you know, Richie Rich, who was like born on a yacht, uh, that they need to like maximize their market share, uh, not only in America, around the world as well. So I've heard other people in the media, a lot of these um, professors and so on, coming out and saying, you know, I benefited from holistic admissions, right? So we we saw that on oh, Twitter. Oh, that's the worst argument ever. <laughs> and, you know, I, I would say I actually benefited from, I think, uh, holistic admissions, too. Well, we all too. did. That, that's yeah. the thing, though, but we got in. <laughs> right. We got in. And, but that, that still doesn't, I mean, that doesn't say anything. That's not a, an appropriate or sufficient response to, well, you know, Harvard is using discriminatory personal ratings against Asian Americans. So I don't see how that really addresses it. That's one thing. Um, and the second thing is, you know, I heard, have you, I think all of you, us have heard of, of uh, Oyan Poon. I think she's a professor uh, also. She, uh, her name sounds familiar, but I might get, be getting her mixed up with someone. Uh, could you explain who she is? Yeah, she's she's a professor who's done a, a bit of research, or either a professor or a research assistant, actually, who's done quite a bit of research in this area. And she kind of went undercover um, in WeChat to kind of, I guess, look into the different discussions that were going on there. And what she said also is, you know, we have a lot of people, Asian Americans going out there and they're just parroting our Edward Bloom and they're saying, well, there's, they're, they're using these discriminatory practices and personal ratings and so on, but they don't have an actual grasp of what the admissions process is like. And the, and the personal rating is a lot more complicated than, you know, what, than what we understand. So, and, and that's a, I think that that can be a valid point, but to this day, I don't any I don't think anyone's really fleshed out for us what this personality rating is. Yeah, exactly. It's like I, I think the, uh, the Harvard's internal review did it like in 2013. I go, you know what? They could they could really exonerate themselves if they just really explain what it was and be like, okay, that seems cool, but you know, we're right. still waiting. So obviously, it makes them look bad. But I just want to go back to that whole I benefited from. It's like so what a terrible argument. Of course somebody's going to benefit from any policy no matter how terrible. That's like me saying, "Oh, I I benefited from the repeal of the death tax because I could, you know, buy another house, floating house, you know." It's like how is that a justification for anything that I benefited from oh, because, something? Because because they're Asian, right? So if you if you show someone Asian benefiting from it because all Asian interests are the same, uh, then it's like, you know, well, hey, this Asian kid benefited from it. What the hell's wrong with the rest of you all? You know, like, can't you be happy for him? Isn't he one of yours? <laughs> oh, that's so terrible. <laughs> I mean, if, like, pe this is the thing. It's like people, I really advocate for people thinking for themselves. It's really not that complicated. You know, Harvard has, 
it wants to discriminate for reasons that might be defensible. Okay. I'm not saying that all discrimination is evil. There might be, you know, a reason that they want to discriminate. The problem is it's illegal. And so they have to hide it. That's why they were so against discovery. That's why they've tried to hide their admissions process, you know, their admissions uh, procedures as much as possible. And that's why they stuff the discriminatory, the locus of discrimination within this sort of soft category of personality. And they've laundered their discrimination. Doesn't mean they're evil. It just means that they have to do something that might be illegal in order to, you know, maintain what they believe is the optimal mix of students for better or for worse. The problem is that the scapegoat for all this, there has to be a natural guilty party in all of this if it turns out that there is, you know, some something fishy about what they're doing. And the scapegoat, of course, is going to be us. It's going to be Asian people. And I think the and specific mm-hmm. and what, what I find really insidious is it's not it's specifically kind of like fobby Chinese people. That, that gets singled out. And I find that, like, you know, I'm, I'm not Chinese, so I'm not just, like, sticking up for my own here. I find that's just... Because I knew what it was like kind of growing up uh, where we had a lot of Chinese people. And then there is a certain, like, hierarchy of, like, Asians that you can look down on. And, and uh, and you know, I'm Korean. I do remember growing up where you would hear, like, all these, like, you know, like Asian jokes and stuff. But you could kind of get away with, uh, but, but I'm not Chinese, I'm Korean. And I see the same dynamic happening here. Because, like, fobby Chinese people who don't, like, kind of assimilate in terms of language or culture and who may even come from a little money are like some of the most i think unsympathetic uh, unsympathetic group yeah because in, in america a, like nobody sticks no, up because c- honestly because like, they they are not that acculturated to the sort of to the sort of like double speak of american race it's not like a thing that makes any sense to them because it is a very unique and strange system that you have to be acculturated to and they don't give a shit and they're like this doesn't make any sense because you're telling me one thing and you're doing another they're 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 reading this in a in the way that i think it should be read which is like you should be fucking honest like there's a problem i'm not going to blame myself okay you tell me what the problem is if you want to tell me that you want to cap students at 20% tell me the rule i don't think that people would be that offended the only problem is it's illegal and so it's a very complicated what I'm saying is, at the end of the day, it's a super complicated case. I'm not trying to say that any one party is necessarily evil. I think that the problem is that we cannot talk about race honestly in this country. We're deluded about how, you know, how how past the race issue we really are. We're deluded and therefore we, you know, we refuse to allow ourselves to confront reality and we end up blaming ourselves. And... I think that's the real harm at the end of the day is I just don't think Asian students should buy into this idea that we have inferior personalities or that we are selfish people for wanting to go to Harvard or any of that or that we're being used as the battering ram for some, you know, white, white supremacist uh, movement or anything like that. No, at the end of the day, you know, we've been presented with a system that is really, really hypocritical and really, really unable to talk about reality as it is. And so I think it's un- it's incumbent on us to understand that and to not blame ourselves, to not gaslight ourselves. Yeah, because I because mean, imagine you're like a young Asian kid, yeah, and you you and and uh, like you ha- you see all around you there is like a certain like too many Asians policy, whether it's in like schools or whether it's like in a movie or TV show or in a friend group or whatever. And you see this happening and you have like an institution like Harvard telling you, oh, okay, that might happen, but it's actually your fault. You are genetically predisposed somehow 
to to not be likable, to not be uh, a good leader, to not be someone that people want to be around. Uh, and your job in life is to prove that you are not part of that vast majority of your own right. group. Just imagine how how much that fucks you up. Just beyond college, I'm sure like this this kid, whatever, if he doesn't get into an Ivy League or to like a good liberal arts school or a good state school, whatever. That's not the problem. The problem is you are inflicting this very damaging message. And, 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 on, and why on a are young they inflicting Asian American kid? And why are they doing it? They're inflicting to save, the, to save themselves. To save themselves. To save themselves because they they don't they cannot admit that they've been breaking the law. So you and, know, yeah, and, and to like really save, save their own brand as as yeah. like uh, an actual school that everyone should go to, not just a tippy top little uh, you know Mister Fancy Pants school. Yeah, I, I see this up and down. I think this is a big problem for Asian American kids these days is this internalization of a lot of the discrimination that's pointed at them. And I I don't want to say that all that discrimination is necessarily evil. I think that's the key is like that you don't have to necessarily think that all discrimination against you is because you're hated or you're disliked or whatever. There may be valid interests in diversity. Who knows, Right. Uh, that's up to you to decide. That's up to you. that's the you know that's some that's a privilege you have to decide. Uh, and I don't think anyone should be telling them that you know all discrimination against them is the absolute you know most evil thing that's ever happened. Uh, they should just be able to decide. But the one thing that I just see over and over again is this intense pressure to internalize all the racial bullshit that occurs in this country um, because we cannot be honest about our desire to discriminate racially and our need to do it. Yeah, I mean, Tin, you you, uh, you wrote a really good article about it earlier this week, The Danger of Asian American Conformity. Everyone should go read it, which uh, is is basically about this. Just like you see obvious racism around you, but Asian Americans are like, even if like other races are calling it out because it's so obvious, Asian Americans are always trying to find a way to like joke about it or, or try to rationalize it because we're so afraid of like, I don't know, maybe uh, rubbing some people the wrong way by being a little too aware of ourselves i don't know we don't want to be accused of not being woke that's really it yeah yeah that's true and and also we just don't want to i think we're i think we're also just fearful of of confrontation because you know we just we're not really secure in our standing you know we don't really understand ourselves very well guest mentality we just don't know what's going to happen if we if we raise our voices and and i think uh i can understand that uh up to a point because we are rather new to this country but you know, by the time you're second gen or third gen, it's like you're really no different than anyone else. I mean, it. it re- how, why does it matter if your great grandparents were here? You know, like what? What exactly? Yeah, no, did but, you but see, the, the, the also the the double standard of this. A lot of these people are also the ones who are like, I'm not a perpetual foreigner. Like, don't you dare uh, tell me how good my English is. So on like certain very safe, acceptable matters, they will assert that they belong and have a right to be loud. And, and, and feel like, uh, uh, you know, an American. But it's only within the very safe. Nobody's going to argue with stuff like that. But as soon as you might, you know, kind of make others uncomfortable, that's when, that's when like Asian Americans. I think we're away. pretty class conscious and there's a certain kind of white that we will stand up to because we know that they don't, they're not really the elite. Uh, but there is a, you know, there's a sense that the elite whites are the ones that you kind of have to kowtow to a little bit. Exactly. And yeah. they're the ones in power. And that, that's a power calculation. And I, I think that, you know, it's, it's time, I think it's time that we start realizing that, you know, we're making calculations about who to stand up to based on their, uh, based on their stat, status in society. And that it's not, like, we're not, you know, we're, we're being very calculating about how we go about doing that. And if, if, if we really want to think that we're standing up to, 
racial discrimination and things like that, you know, we've got to stand up to it wherever it is, especially where it comes from the elite, where, especially where it's yeah, backed bingo. by power, you know? Yeah, I, I and I will say uh, I, I am encouraged to see some of it more happening. I mean, I, I mentioned that article by Jeannie Suckerson, who, you know, is like very elite. Uh, yeah, she's like speaking out about this. Uh, there was a writer for Slate, Aaron Mack, who's been covering this case uh, closely. He's and then uh, Michael Lee, who wrote for Vox. I mean, like Slate and Vox, these are like very mainstream. They've all been doing a great uh, job. Liberal. I I've really yeah. enjoyed the and, stuff and, they put out. And I feel like the new line that has been shifted. It used to be more like, uh, you know, like Asian Americans, if if we're like being discriminated because we suck, uh, we cannot question like these like race uh, racial uh, admissions policies ever. Now it's more like. Yes, you know, like we we defend affirmative action in principle, you know, which we at Plan A do as well. Uh, but you know, uh, there's something a little fucked up here, and we should be able to talk about it. And that I, that appears to be that the boundaries are getting pushed a bit more, and I'm very encouraged to see that. Last word, Casey. Well, oh no, we, I mean, like I don't want to. This is like obviously a very merry topic. Yeah. So uh, I, I, let's talk about you know more Christmassy things uh, after <laughs> after this. I don't want to like end because this is our last episode before Christmas Day. That's we're true. all like. Uh, so, but Casey, any any last thoughts on on the whole Harvard thing? Well, I just think they're like going into this. I, you know, I, I would have to say a long time ago, about when I was still in law school, I got asked in a question that I think I should not have been asked during an interview. Um, I was interviewing for a position with the U.S. District Court, and I think I I don't actually don't know if it's um, appropriate to ask this question, but I was asked, "Do I?" do I believe in or do I support race-based affirmative action? And at that time, I was caught off guard um, because I just didn't know what affirmative action was. Like, I I think conceptually, we all have an idea of what race-based affirmative action is and what the goals are. But at the time, and this is exactly how I answered, I said, I don't know, because I I don't know what affirmative action really looks like. in you know in the university policies and procedures and i got you know i ended up getting that position and then 15 years later fast forward to now i still don't really fully understand what affirmative action is or was at least until i was i don't think anyone really yeah, does yeah I, I think that's it's really not, it's not really a thing i mean that's yeah. the thing it's not really a thing it's it's like a sort of air, it's an amorphous like exception to the law basically right so how can we how can we be like, how can we strongly support or strongly be against something that we don't fully understand? I think that's one of the issues. And I th- I think like doing this podcast has been great because it's kind of forced me to go through and read everything, read the amicus briefs and read the complaint. And I would uh, recommend that for everybody who's following this case and cares to know more about affirmative action, just to learn about what it is, just be on- and even beyond the articles that are out there, um, don't just read other people's opinions or, you know, what they think this case is about or what they if they say it's it's about anti-Asian discrimination and it's not about affirmative action or it's, it is about race-based affirmative action. Make that decision on your own. Read through the actual legal documents and see what this case is actually about. Yeah, one article I read uh, said, interestingly enough, for both the plaintiff and the defendant in this case um, have been... I think like the in court, I think the plaintiffs have been saying, oh, this is not about affirmative action. This is only about like Harvard undergraduate admissions. Are they discriminating against Asian Americans? I mean, in court, that's what they're saying. But kind of like in the broader, maybe in like a Fox News sphere, they're actually, I think they are selling this as an attack on affirmative action because that's what gets riled people up. Because like affirmative action is kind of like, 
it, dep- it, it becomes whatever you want it to be. Like, whatever you're, like, angry at, that becomes affirmative action. And uh, also, like, the defendants are doing it, too, because, like, the people who want to defend it, affirmative action just becomes this uh, vague idea of racial justice. How can you be against that, right? So it's like both sides are taking advantage of this, uh, you know, lack of understanding of what affirmative action is. Oh, also, uh, before I guess we stop talking about this, I also want to say uh, J.Y. J. Lee, who's, who's one of our writers, and actually, he... Um, he actually goes to Harvard and he actually went to one of those like fancy pants <laughs> high schools. But he wrote a very good article for us, uh, Harvard and Edward Bloom, two defenders of white plutocracy. Um, so he's like, he's like, uh, you know, he's known, uh, like he's in Harvard. He knows the thing, but, uh, he, he wrote a very good article for us. Please go read it on plan A. I highly recommend it. A lot of fire. I liked it. <laughs> yeah. That was a fiery article. Uh, teen, any last thoughts? Or maybe we can talk about gingerbread cookies and. <laughs> Santa Claus. No, I'm just I'm recording this from like my, my parents' uh computer. I'm at, I'm I'm home uh at my parents' house in in Maryland for the for Christmas and I'm hoping this works because they've got this they've got they've just got a lot of like ain't like this is like an ancient PC and it's all in Chinese. I feel like I'm using like uh a PC at you know a Chinese public library. So I'm I'm really hoping that this worked out. It looks okay, so uh, that's yeah. good. That's yeah. pretty impressive. Okay. Uh, that... So, what do you guys is? What's that? No, I was just saying that's pretty impressive that you're able to even open a program. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's like skin of my teeth. We'll we'll hope this works. Yeah. Oh my god! Like like Korean internet or or like computers are so stressful for me just because it takes so long. Because I mean, you take for granted just how fast you operate on a computer. Yes. You know, clicking on folders stuff. It's so instantaneous. But with like when if it's in Korean, it slows <laughs> yes. down so much. Yeah. Oh, it's so, yeah. Anyway, uh, what are you guys' Christmas plans? Casey? I'm staying local. Um, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just, well, you know, now that I'm married, we have to juggle, like, how, how to, I, I, how to schedule our holidays, like, whether we do it with my husband's parents or with mine. And that's, um, that's always a challenge, but we're staying local and we're going to meet with both families, one on New Year's Eve or Christmas Eve and the other side on Christmas Day. Oh, as long as you can stay in the area, that's not so bad. Like, people who have to fly around this time, it really sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, look what happened on Home Alone, you know? (laughs) You don't want that to happen. (laughs) Although with Bay Area... What what are your Uh, I'm just... just, What's that? Oh, I'm sorry. I I was going to say, although with Bay Area traffic, it's almost just as bad. It's almost... Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, no, I'm just, I'm just hanging out with the family. My sisters, my parents are down here. My sister's here. Of, um, she's, I've got the two nephews and, um, yeah, you know, it's just like, it's, it's, uh, it's just like, to, to us, it's just like a repeat. Uh, it's just like a replay of Thanksgiving. It's just Thanksgiving mm-hmm. with a tree is basically what our, our Christmas mm-hmm. is like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm staying local too. I mean, my parents are in Korea, so I'm not going there. But you are my going there in, soon it, though, right? Well, in January. Yeah. Yes. In January. Uh, you know, avoid, you know, cause like, it's like. Tickets are so much more expensive than Christmas, and you know they don't really celebrate Christmas in Korea anyway. So what's the point of of going in December? Just wait a couple of weeks, and you know you get the cheaper airfare. Yeah. Uh, but my my brother now lives in New York City too, so we'll we'll uh, hang out. Um, we're probably gonna last year, uh, you know, because like my studio is is way too small to actually cook anything. So for dinner, we uh, were planning to like go out, but a lot of places are closed. So we ended up going to a Japanese place, like this yakitori place. This year we might go to a Chinese food, do the very Jewish thing. <laughs> that's nice that it's nice it, that your brother's that. in New York, man. That's it's nice to have family. Yeah, around. yeah. I, I kind of wish I had some family in New York, but uh, we're, I'm not too far. But uh, yeah, that's nice. Mm-hmm. I have a question for you guys. Do you say Merry Christmas or like Happy Holidays? I say Merry Christmas. 
I say Merry Christmas too, just because I feel like everyone is afraid to say Merry Christmas. Exa- no, just exactly. <laughs> no, but that's what I hate. It's just like, like I feel. No, but every time I, feel, I say Merry Christmas, I'm just afraid someone will think I'm a Trump supporter or, or like a Bill O'Reilly stan. Yeah. It's just like, like come on. It's like okay, maybe if if I know someone's like um you know another religion for sure, like Jewish or Muslim or something, then uh, maybe I'll say Happy Holidays or maybe I'll say Merry Christmas and like Happy Hanukkah or whatever. Happy Holidays is so like corporate HR type yes. of bullshit. It's yes. just uh, I, I I refuse <laughs> to say it because look, I'm not Christian. I've never been Christian. Uh, I, most of my friends who celebrate Christmas are not Christian. Uh, we are not getting the day off for the holidays. We're getting it off for Christmas. Like that—that's another. It's another layer of the same thing where it's like Americans cannot just say what it is. It's like okay, we can't say Merry Christmas, but we still get Christmas off, right? And everything Santa Claus in this yeah. shit. Like just say it. Just fucking say it. Yeah, it's <laughs> like I don't. It's not that big a deal. Um, what really pissed me off, I remember in like uh, high school social studies class with certain textbooks, uh, they didn't want to use a uh, BC and AD because they thought it was too Christian. Uh, so they started using uh, BCE and CE, which stood for before Common Era oh and Common Era. <laughs> but it's still the exact same thing. It's like you're still you're still hinging on this like theoretical birth of of Jesus Christ. Come on, you're just man. you're it's just, just like... hiding you're just hiding it, right? You're still using it. Yeah. But you're in fact, it. in fact, if anything, using the actual terms would alert people more to like the the inherent maybe like like Christian bias of of just like exactly. Western history in general and people would actually become more interested in figuring out it's kind of the same thing with like like Columbus Day when they uh, switch it with like Fall Weekend it's like no you want people to delve more into Columbus so they can find out all the stuff he did or else they're gonna be trapped in that like third grade understanding of him because like they're never gonna have to actually encounter it again unless it becomes some like in depth historian it's just all these like, it's like you're just papering over the pa- problem. Exactly, you're not that's what it is. Anything. Just papering yeah. over the problem. That, that's why it's a corporate HR yeah. bullshit. Nobody ever wants to solve I'm the problem. You, Everyone I, just wants I, to. I think so much modern anxiety comes from that. Every every time issues <laughs> come up, I find that there is an element of this papering over and sort of rhetorical denial of the problem. And I think that is a big part of anxiety these days. Um, and so I'm very I'm very much a Merry Christmas person. <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, I think we're uh, heading towards the end. So, uh, thanks for thanks for joining us. Uh, you know, you it's like Christmas Eve's Eve. I'm sure everyone has stuff to do. But uh, it was really, fun as really always. A good podcast. Yep. Uh, thanks, team. Thanks, Casey. Thank you both. Thanks, thanks Oxford. Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> Signing off. And we're uh, we're not doing that because we support Fox News or those motherfuckers. <laughs> Hi, thanks for listening to Escape from Plan A. Uh, this was your host, Oxford, along with Casey and Teen. And as I said at the beginning, if you like us, please uh, go to uh, iTunes and subscribe to us. Go um, write a review for us and go to SoundCloud. Also subscribe to us there. We're also on things like Google Play and other hosting sites. And if you want to read our articles, go to planamag.com. We also have a Facebook page, so you know, go like us there. Uh, etc. Um, go like us everywhere. So, hope everyone has a very good, um, whatever, uh, rest of December. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy New Year's. We'll see you soon. Bye, all. Everybody knows a turkey and some mistletoe help to make the season bright. Tiny tots. With their eyes all aglow We'll find it hard to sleep tonight They know that Santa's on his way He's loaded lots of toys
child is gonna spy to see if reindeer really know how to fly and so I'm offering this simple phrase to kids from one to 92 although it's been said many times many ways 